This episode of the podcast is dedicated to Stanton Friedman, who passed away recently. Mr. Friedman was a legend in the world of ufology and paranormal research, and instrumental in bringing events like the Roswell incident and the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case to a wider audience. His literary output graces the shelves of many paranormal researchers and enthusiasts, and he set the standard high for his craft, inspiring many people to pick up the torch he carried for so long. He was one of those people you just expected to live forever, and now that will be in our memories, which are finer for it. Thank you, Stanton. Hello, and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. Hello, my name is James Randy. That's R-A-N-D-I, and I'm known as The Amazing Randy because I'm a magician. Now, that means that I'm a conjurer, actually, because there are no magicians. You can't really do magic, but you can approximate it so closely that you'd never know the difference. And that's what I do professionally. I'm 88 years of age, going on 100, as I like to say, because I'm an optimist, among other things. I'm also an atheist, but uh, that's not too important here. Thank you for your kind attention to this announcement. When you think of magic, two things will usually come to mind. An artist on stage performing fantastic acts such as card tricks, illusions, mind reading and hypnosis. Or a more esoteric practice, someone usually by themselves enacting a ritual in an attempt to influence their world by invoking supernatural assistance. In some ways, there would seem to be some similarities between these two scenarios. However, the man you heard at the beginning, James Randi, had a very successful career as a stage magician and later went on to become one of the most famous paranormal sceptics of recent times, at one point offering a million dollars to anyone who could display supernatural abilities under agreed test conditions, a prize that had yet to be claimed when it ceased in 2015. Despite this, I think that there is still plenty to be gained from discussing the techniques of stage magic comparatively to the paranormal in a more positive way. To that end, my guest for this episode is Mark Bell, who has performed all across the world as the magical mystery artist Mark Obscura. He is an expert in hypnosis, mentalism and illusion amongst many other talents and has led a life regularly interrupted by unusual incidents featuring ghosts, unexplained lights in the sky and a range of puzzling synchronicities. As such, he has an open-minded approach to understanding the relationship between his career and these odd life experiences that made for a really interesting conversation. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. So on your website, you describe yourself as a magical mystery artist and your performances feature mystery magic mentalism, mind reading, and hypnosis. Um, My first question is, how did you start on the path to learn those skills? Well, that's a very long story. I'll make it short. But uh, (laughs) so years ago, when I was a child, my father used to take me to a local magic shop in Miami Beach, Florida. And they offered the usual, uh, the card tricks, uh, different uh, vanishing effects, And I enjoyed that for many years. That was quite wonderful. But as the years progressed, uh, there's really 
less and less that captivated me about that. And part of that is that no no matter how many times you do a card effect, you kind of get the gist of it. You know what's going on, basically. And so little by little, I lean towards uh, what now is called mentalism. And the influences originally were people like the amazing Kreskin and Yuri Geller, people like that. Now, Yuri Geller, as far as I know, uh, promotes himself as all his effects being real uh, ESP. And if I'm wrong about that, then I'm then I'm wrong. But I think that's how he promotes himself. Whereas a lot of the others, it was you knew that it was just mental techniques. They were doing mental magic. So more and more, I went in that direction. It's just more mysterious, more intriguing. Uh, okay. And so when you were when you took an interest in, in learning those techniques, where did you where did you seek out the the information and and how to best learn those? Well, primarily through books, uh, mentalism or any type of mental magic, there's been books available for a long time. They're a little bit more obscure than, let's say, traditional card magic books or uh, something like that, or even some of the more elaborate magic, like uh, the traditional vanishing of this and that, or using scarves or rings, connecting rings. Those things are fairly easy to find, whereas mentalism is a little bit trickier. But through my local uh, magic store that lasted for quite some time, these days most of that is online. But I uh, started looking into the books and learning the theory and learning basic techniques. Now, I've been a hypnotist for a long time. I studied hypnosis years and years ago. And some of mentalism uses just a little bit of uh, a carryover from hypnosis and something called neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP for short. Now, some people uh, claim to use a lot of that when they really don't, like Darren Brown. And Darren Brown is probably the best mentalist in the world. Uh, In the UK, he's widely known. In the US, he's somewhat known. But he is just absolutely amazing. But he's not really using as much NLP as he uh, pretends to to use. At least I don't personally think so. When you're doing your act, what do you mostly use? Is it a combination of mentalism and the other techniques you've described? I think it's primarily what most mentalists do, which is a lot of mental confusion uh, perhaps a little bit of NLP. Now, I, I use a fair amount of NLP in my hypnosis practice, so perhaps I use just a little bit more of that than some other mentalists. Uh, I only use hypnosis if it's agreed upon. So I do a lot of private events and parties, and we agree up front if it's okay to use hypnosis. Uh, a lot of people don't really understand what hypnosis really is, so some people are scared of it. Uh, So there's all those vague notions about hypnosis that sometimes it's just better to do straight mentalism without it. But mentalism, it's a combination of there's certain responses that people will give to different uh, questions or different situations without knowing it. And there's a high hit rate, as we call it, if you phrase things properly. 
and the response is going to be within a certain realm. You can a lot of times really just pick thoughts from someone's mind using techniques. Uh, of course, there's other techniques that we use where, um, and knowing this, I'm kind of laughing about it because I do things right under people's noses that they have no idea, uh, have them predict a number, and then I tell them what number they predicted. But there's techniques that they don't see that I'm using, and it's right under their noses. It's, it's pretty good. Okay. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what those techniques that you describe? Well, it's tricky because uh, I'm a member of uh, some magic organizations. Ah. So, so, you know, I can't, <laughs> there's certain things that, you know, I pledge secrecy, but I can tell you that there's, there's a lot of different ways to force cards, to force numbers, to force colors, uh, all that. And there's different ways to, if someone tells me like a, a phone number, for instance, I can prove that I've already had that written down and I can reach into my pocket and pull out the phone number they just told me. It's already written down. Now, I'm not going to tell you how I did that, uh, but that's easy to do. And it blows people away. I have people all the time at my uh, the events and parties I do. I have people all the time convinced I'm doing real mind reading. And I tell people this: I'm using techniques. It's not real ESP. Although I do believe that everyone has a certain degree of what we call ESP. In my performances, I'm doing techniques, but they're so good that people will often come up to me after the show wanting me to read their mind and uh, explain future events and such. Right. So as you've been learning your craft as a mentalist, you also have interest in things like, just like you mentioned, ESP and, and mind reading and, and hypnosis and things like that. The longer your career has gone on, have you felt like you've gotten more of an insight into to things like ESP and mind reading in terms of them being a sort of a 14 phenomenon? Yes and no. Um, I definitely believe that... Our reality, I always put reality in quotes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and really, I think everyone should. Our reality is plastic. It's kind of adjusted by our beliefs, our expectations, and a lot of other things that we just don't understand. And I'm sure just about everyone has had the experience and mostly this goes back for me back before the era of smartphones. You know, you had your old phone at home. Uh, the phone rang. You have no idea who's calling. And there would be times when the phone would ring and I knew who it was. Maybe someone I hadn't talked to in about five years or so. I knew who it was. I could see their face. It just flashed. And I'd pick it up and that's that person I haven't talked to in five years with no previous uh, indication that they would be calling. So things like that happen. And I think happen to most people quite a bit, but most people just uh, ignore it or block it out or think, oh, that's interesting. But people that are into 14 phenomena, we pay attention to that. Uh, years ago, I used to read a lot of Robert Anton Wilson's work. And of course, he had different techniques for synchronicities and trying to enhance that and pick up on it. And I've been interested in this uh, area for 
oh, a very long time, probably since I was 18, and that's some time ago. Uh, but I do understand why a lot of magicians, including Houdini and the amazing Randy and such, why they go after the area of psychics and ESP, uh, why they go after it in such a negative way. And it's because especially if you're a trained mentalist, even if you're a trained magician, but a mentalist has many more techniques to use, I can fake that very easily. I mean, I could set myself up as a psychic and, uh, and really fake that very, very convincingly. So the history of psychics contains a lot of, uh, a lot of frauds, um, a lot of deception. And I understand that aspect of it, but I feel that magicians that fight this area, they fight the area of, of uh, the possibility of psychic phenomena, ESP, precognition, etc. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. They don't examine the whole thing in detail. They don't take personal experiences into account. So for instance, that phone call I had, and that's happened to me more than once, where I just knew who it was, if I went to the amazing Randy and said, hey, I just had this, this is real ESP, they're going to say, well, okay, let's, uh, let's get you into a clinical uh, scientific setting where we can monitor everything and see if you can repeat it. Well, how do I repeat something like that? It's not something I just decide is going to happen. And that's kind of an overview of uh, how I feel about the whole thing. I do feel there's a lot of uh, synchronistic Fordian types of things that happen. But as far as in a laboratory setting, really proving that, that's tricky. So would you say that in terms of your mentalism and your interest in mind reading and ESP, are they are they separate? So when, you, when you're doing your mentalism, is that very much a set of techniques that you've learned and but through learning those techniques over time you've came you feel like you've come to have a, a bit more of an insight into something which goes beyond those techniques exactly yeah i think you worded it very well that's uh, exactly correct uh, now i've talked with other magicians and not so much mentalists because there's more magicians um and some of them have shared with me the same thing that I've experienced that, you know, you might be doing a card routine. And it might be a routine where you yourself don't know which card is selected until you do a secret move. And, and then you know what card the spectator looked at. Uh, but you might, be, you might be doing something like that and you just, you just get a flash. You just know what card they chose. And when you do your secret move and reveal that card, you're blown away as much as they are. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. That's a rare event, but it does happen. I've had other people uh, share that same thing with me. But with the mentalism, I'm using fakery. Uh, it's just techniques. It's like a magician when they saw a woman in half, they're faking it. They, they're not actually sawing a man or a woman in half. They're using a technique. So the same with the mental magic or uh, mentalism. It's the same type of uh, trickery. But now and then things happen that just, you, you know, uh, perhaps a, a number prediction where instead of one person 
one person where you forced it on, you get maybe two other people also picked up on it and give you the same exact number of this kind of a weird choice. And you're just wondering where that comes from. But there are different techniques that uh, sometimes border on just what is reality. You know, there's sometimes where uh, I'm trying to force a number and even before I do the techniques to force the number, someone will respond with that number. And in that case, it's a question left of, okay, what just happened there? Uh, but it's very interesting. The terms mind reading and ESP are generally separate, but are they separate ideas or is there some crossover there? Well, I believe there's a lot of crossover. I don't think we truly understand. Uh, let's presume that some mind reading is actually real. Uh, some ESP, precognition, telekinesis, whatever is actually real. I think it's. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover there. I think I look at things sometimes kind of like we're in a matrix where. You know, if you can imagine a matrix-type environment, some of this actually makes more sense. Uh, what's really yeah. going on is questionable, but I do think there's a lot of crossover. We use terms to label things so we can understand. It's easier to understand. We say, we'll say terms like paranormal, ESP, UFO, and oh, I hate the term UFO. But we use these terms so we can label things that are in my opinion, much deeper, broader aspects of, of that questionable thing we call reality. Okay. Um, in your own experience, can you tell us some examples of like, from like mind reading and ESP which have really blown you away in terms of, in terms of what they what they represent? Right. So could I go more with that? More, um, I think things that really blow me away are some of the things that I've witnessed. Now, this is more in a paranormal area as opposed to mind reading and ESP. No, go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> okay. So my wife and I, we just moved last summer. Uh, we downsized from our house to a, a condo and in the local area. And uh, mainly we did that because as we get older, the house is just too large to take care of. It's just the two of us. And um, also we wanted to be someplace where we could walk to things. So after uh, approximately 11 years, we sold that house. Now that house was what I would call extremely haunted. The weird thing is, is, it's not an old house. It was built in 1980. Uh, it was built on old land, but, you know, that's, that's really just making things up because every land is old. But mm -hmm. 1980, you know, you wouldn't expect a house to be that haunted. But there were shadows all the time, footsteps, knocks, uh, raps, taps, uh, all types of different things like that. Temperature changes with the air conditioning being off, uh, hot spots, cold spots. And some of the most pronounced things that happen, I'll, I'll share one of them. But if I wasn't so sleepy, it probably would have freaked me out a little bit. But I was laying in bed. It's one of those nights where just I need a little extra time to fall asleep and laying there waiting to fall asleep. And right next to me, about three feet away, is the closet door. Uh, 
And out of nowhere, that closet door went bam, bam, bam. And I was so tired, wanting to fall asleep. I was almost asleep. I just mentally said, you know, not tonight, maybe tomorrow night. We'll, we'll figure this out. <laughs> we can communicate tomorrow night. I'm so sleepy. And I fell asleep. And, you know, those things would happen now and then. Uh, there's one time on the wall right next to the bed. It was three very loud uh, loud raps and then two more loud raps. Um, and I'm very scientific, especially because I do mentalism and a little bit of magic. And I'm looking around, okay, what's the scientific explanation here? Uh, there's no tree that could hit the wall. Uh, there's no animals in the house, nothing else that could be going on. Been in the house 11 years. I know the sounds of a house settling, especially that house, all the sounds it makes. And it doesn't make those sounds. And that was very prominent sounds. And if it was just the sound, those raps and taps and bangs, I might say, okay, there's some mechanism at play here that is natural. I don't understand. But when you take into the account of the shadows, um, and mainly that'd be me in the living room uh, watching TV, and down the hallway is the the door opening between the kitchen, and the den. And I would see shadows, and occasionally my wife would see these too, these dark shadows going between the kitchen and the den. It was just a lot of activity in that house. Wow. So were they like shadows or, or shadow people? It was kind of in between. It was shadows kind of in the shape of a person. Wow, okay. But somewhat loose you know it wasn't really really defined but defined enough that you saw it wow i mean yeah it it seems like the the cut the idea of shadow people is getting a bit more attention these days uh, i hear i hear more people talking about them in, in terms of things that they see in their in their houses so that's really interesting well the other interesting thing is is uh in the last 10 years i watched a lot of paranormal shows on on tv various ones um I've never had, and this is portrayed in some of the shows occasionally, but just because they're dark shadows doesn't mean it's negative. I've never experienced mm. any negative feeling in that house, not from the shadows or the footsteps or the banging, uh, nothing. It, nothing seemed malice or with ill intent. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I, I suppose it's, it's easy to imagine that these things being sort of scary. But from what you described, yeah, it seems like, if anything, they were maybe just curious, perhaps. Well, I think certain people uh, are a little bit more open to this, and it could be due to different things that happen in life. And one thing that I can go back to that, because I experienced a lot of what could be labeled paranormal activity at certain places and times, and uh, I think part of it is that I'm just more open to it. But when I was about 15 or so, I had a very profound out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that opened me up to a lot of other things. Um, it was just really profound, very wild. And I had to look into it because at the time, I didn't know what was going on. And a friend of mine told me about 
a bookstore that specialized in uh, new age and occult and different types of things. And she said, well, that sounds like an out-of-body experience. You should go to a bookstore. And I did. And I, uh, the first book I found on it was Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe. And I think that's a wonderful mm-hmm. book because he's very scientific. And But I think that experience, whatever that was, whether that was a real out-of-body experience or just some experience that we label as out-of-body, I think that opened me up maybe psychically, consciously for all these weird uh, experiences. All right. Okay. So just tell us a little bit more about that out-of-body experience. Uh, Okay. Well, here where I'm at, it's not that late, but where you're at, it's getting fairly late and nice and dark, I'm assuming. So this is a good little story for nighttime. (laughs) I woke up earlier than I usually wake up. I think I woke up around five o'clock in the morning, roughly. I just remember it was probably an hour or two before I usually wake up. I woke up and I was frozen. I couldn't move. Uh, There were vibrations just flowing through my body. And I had this sense of oppression, just a real negative malice, kind of like a malice intelligence just surrounding me. And this voice, all of a sudden I start hearing like a a jet engine circling the room. It was an extremely loud roaring sound just picked up and starts circling around me. And... (laughs) This voice that sounded really negative said something like, uh, just be brave and go with it. But it said it very sarcastically, <laughs> very malice. <laughs> and and that was enough. That broke the spell. I mean, like I said, I was probably 15 and, and first time I've ever had anything like that. And that broke the spell and I snapped out of it. Well, through life, I've had several more out-of-body experiences, and uh, I actually believe now that that voice was myself. It was a higher part of myself that I was ready to actually leave the body, which I did later on. Uh, But I think that at at that point, I was just partially out of my body, and that was myself kind of prompting me out. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. So, I mean, I guess we can take it for granted that our self is just in, in this reality, isn't it? This 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 material world, this is where our sort of self exists. But if you look into psychology, then there are ideas that the self is made up of different parts that all kind of interrelate. Right. If you study anything like from the Theosophical Society or the or ancient Tibet or any of the ancient mystery schools, really, they, they see the... Uh, Uh, I don't know if you would say the self or the mind or whatever spirit or whatever aspect you want to name it, having multi-dimensional levels of existence. And uh, later on, I did have several out-of-body experiences that took me out where I could observe things. And later on, I could go back and take a look and verify that what I observed is accurate. Again, though, that's that's tricky if someone said, okay, give me scientific proof that this happened. How do I do that? You know, it's a, it's a uh, 
a story that uh, something, an experience, personal experience that happened to me, but how do I prove that or really share that with anyone else to a level that uh, scientifically it really matters? That's that's the tough thing to do. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So where were you growing up when that happened, when you were 15? I was in North Miami. Okay, and that house was, was that house quite new at the time as well? Or? No, that house was built... I'm going to say in the very late 40s, um, mm-hmm. it had paranormal activity as well. It tended to have um, uh, some shadows, uh, some voices now and then, especially in the hallway. Uh, late at night, we would hear these voices and nothing was there. Now, that wasn't a, an extremely large house. It was just a, a regular-sized house. Uh, when I was a little kid, I used to see uh, today what you'd call orbs, orbs of light in the backyard. Hmm. Down in that area of Florida, we don't have lightning bugs. Like where I live now, there's lightning bugs, although they look different than what I saw. But there's no lightning bugs or anything you can ascribe that to. So whatever these little lights were, that's still uh, an unknown. But that house had a lot of uh, weird activity. But South Florida is a weird haunted place it's just there's a lot of weirdness in in south florida right so i mean we and, that, and at that point were you were you interested in that kind of thing like ghosts and the supernatural oh yes i mean i started reading uh my dad would take me to i think it was actually a drugstore i can't quite remember now but they had an amazing magazine section and back then, there was all these uh, Argosy and true experience and ghost stories, all this different stuff. And I was really attracted to that because of the things I was experiencing. And I started reading a lot of these different magazines. And uh, and then locally, we had a report of uh, uh, not too far from where I lived, uh, a UFO supposedly well, basically a flying saucer supposedly landed at this elementary school. And a lot of the children saw it, a lot of the the teachers saw it. This was big news in the Miami Herald at the time. And um, so I got interested in UFOs. And then I was lucky enough to encounter the works of of John Keel, who I just think is amazing. You know, I, I love the fact that John Keel and... And a few of the other researchers early on started developing these theories that, you know, this is trickery. Just like later on, me doing mentalism is kind of uh, trickery, trickery effects. Something else, whatever this something is, is doing a lot of trickery on us, just kind of messing with us. Yeah, I I, I really like John Keel. Um, Jack Vallée is a is a writer who I, I like a lot, too. Yes. In- Yes, very wonderful writer. And his idea is sort of that maybe there are sort of intelligences or entities that are sort of trying to, like you say, trick us or provoke us into being aware of something. Like they're not they're not going to show us directly the information that we need to evolve or something, but they're going to sort of provoke us into finding it for ourselves. Right. And I, I toy with a few different theories because it's so bizarre. Uh, the one thing that, I just can't put the piece together on this one part. It's just uh, very elusive. But 
excuse me, why why the um, you have certain components of it that just repeat. You have orbs, you have these quote unquote flying saucers or cigar shapes. You have what's described as large black dogs or cats with blowing red eyes, uh, flying humanoids often with blowing red eyes, Sasquatch, Bigfoot type of thing. And to me, the, the hardest part of understanding all this, and sometimes you even have reports of a, a UFO with a Bigfoot or two underneath of it, and then seeing uh, a big cat with flowing red eyes. And, and so many yeah. of these people, when they experience this, they get back home, and then they find poltergeist activity in their home, which I think is just really weird how it all ties together. But the most confusing thing to me is why the archetypes? Why a big cat and a big dog with glowing eyes? Why this Bigfoot-looking thing? Why something that looks like a saucer? I mean, in reality, there should be, whatever this thing is, it should be manifesting a thousand and one different disguises. But it's primarily about a dozen. So that's the, the tricky part that I've just can't quite grasp. Yeah, and they these archetypes they they appear all over all over the world in in cultures from Australia to to Iceland. There are these sort of entities and these ideas and ideas as well, like a like a great flood or a, and cataclysms and and a whole range of ideas seem to be shared out across the globe going back a long time. Exactly. And Iceland takes them very seriously. I mean, they will divert their roads if there's uh, an area that they think is uh, popular with fairies or gnomes. They'll actually build the road around it so they don't disturb it. Yeah, I think it's very wise. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. One thing I um, your, your account made me think of is um, there's a book called The Supernatural, which is co-authored by... Whitley Strieber and a and a guy called Jeffrey Kripal, uh, and in that uh, Whitley Strieber talks about his his encounters he had that he talked about in communion, and um, basically he, he he kind of came to the conclusion that perhaps most cultures would have a sort of an initiation process for a person when they came of age, and they would that would be a sort of a uh, like a shamanistic ritual where you would you would you would perhaps you would you'd drink something and you would go on a psychedelic experience to the, to the other side, to the other realm and, and then come back and then you could, you know, you could become part of the community. And, and that's sort of, we don't have that as much in the Western world anymore, but you know, we, we, but for a long time, we did have this interaction with this other place and then it's kind of got less and less and less. And that, I think his idea was sort of like the entities on the other side are going, well, wait a minute, where <laughs> where's everybody gone? So they're kind of popping through, trying to find people to kind of carry on that relationship. And But they're just finding people who out, you know, <laughs> who aren't prepared for it sometimes and, and it freaks them out. And <laughs> I, I just thought that was a kind of, that was a, a, a neat idea for, for what might be happening. That is a nice idea and it would explain a lot. And, my take on that would be perhaps, because I've toyed with this idea already, but if that is partly or, or even all of what's happening, it could be uh, this intelligence or entity, whatever this is, it could be childlike. Yes. And that could explain why uh, so much of it doesn't make sense. 
if a child like very powerful multidimensional entity is reaching out, making contact, it would make more sense as to why it's so weird and why it isn't that logical. Uh, I've toyed with that. I, whatever this is, whatever the mechanism is, I've toyed with the idea for a long time that it it's either childlike or it's so alien it just doesn't understand mm. our mind our concepts our our um our thought patterns and a thing going against the latter going against it being just too alien to understand is that if the accounts during key flap areas of the men in black um if those are actually true then there is a fair amount of understanding there uh, because they present themselves in a certain way, dressed a certain way with certain intent. Now that's maybe that's part of a, uh, a different intelligence or something that isn't quite fitting into the regular uh, cornucopia of weirdness. There may be several different similar entities or intelligences that manifest in this way. Hmm. The, the creepiest men in black stories are the ones where they they can't quite talk right or they sometimes they'll take something and then run away and like you say like sometimes they're playful and sometimes they're menacing and it's always very odd yes and i guess they could fit into that childlike pattern uh but it's uh whatever this is is extremely interesting i've i've been looking into it off and on i guess probably since i was about you know, 16 or so, probably since I first started having the uh, out-of-body experiences and started reading all the, the magazines, I've kind of been looking into that as open-mindedly as I can. You know, it's more of a, I take the Sherlock Holmes approach. You, this <laughs> is some data, you add more data to it, you add more data to it, and then where does that lead? Wherever it leads, that's where you go. That's a good model to follow. <laughs> yes. And you've never, you yourself have never encountered a man in black, I guess. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting, but no, never have. Well, never say never. So, <laughs> I did encounter uh, two friends and myself did encounter a, about an eight or 10 foot semi-luminous uh, translucent sphere uh, up in the air. And this was uh, oh, back about 35 years ago in um, North Miami. Actually, it was a town just north north of Miami. And uh, the three of us saw this. And it was about, oh, 100 yards up ahead of our heads, up, up high. And it was amazing. And the weird thing is, we're looking around at other people because there's plenty of people around. Nobody else has seen this. And it felt like it had intelligence. Uh, that could have been just something we're projecting onto it, but it just hovered there. It hovered there for about 10 minutes and slowly faded away. It was a mostly, uh, a blue sky. There were a couple little clouds and those clouds were drifting. Uh, and this thing wasn't moving. It was stationary. And for about 10 minutes and slowly it faded away. So we, we kind of joked about it afterwards because all of us, uh, we were members of different metaphysical groups in Miami at the time. There were a lot of different groups, new age metaphysical uh, alternate uh, thinking groups. And 
And so we tended to think along these lines and we thought, you know, this is really interesting because you could say that that was a UFO. Or if you go back a couple hundred years ago, you might say that was an angel Hmm. or a fairy. Or if you're inclined to think very negative, perhaps you would even call it a demon. I mean, it was beautiful. It just shimmered kind of like a rainbow. So in a, in a spherical shape. Uh, so I didn't ascribe any negativity to it, but whatever it was, it was extremely interesting, but, uh, nope, no men in black afterwards. Ah, well, it sounds nicer than the men in black encounter, much nicer. (laughs) Yes. And it could, could have been some extremely rare, um, natural phenomena. I, I've toyed with that. I just, I've got no idea what it was. It, It reminds me of the, the encounter that those children had. In in Fatima, they saw a they saw a light come out of a cave, and then and then that led to the to it being sort of identified as a, an appearance of the Virgin Mary. But it it was described as a kind of a bright shining orb that sort of floated out of a cave. Um, so yeah, maybe I mean I'm not saying it's a Virgin Mary, but <laughs> but but it might be some benign benign entity at least. Right, and Sean Keel has written about. Uh, different people being struck by a light. You know, they see like a flickering star thing and they get struck by a light and uh, things either go very good or very bad for them. Um, yeah. We didn't get struck by any light, so maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> good, yeah. <laughs> okay, so one thing I was going to ask is with the, the techniques that you've learned um, and your interest in the, you know, the paranormal, do you think those techniques are, could uh, could be applied in a in a negative way by organizations like governments? I'm, I'm thinking in terms of controlling controlling how people think, you know, like like mind control techniques, but on a on a grander scale. Do you, do you think that that from what you know of, of of mentalism and 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 your understanding of of how the mind sort of works, that there's the mechanics there to to do that on a large scale? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I think that anything that we can think of, whether it's the American government, the English government, mm. Israeli, Russian, anything, you know, you look at all the funding that they have behind them. So any open organization that's out there trying to do things, uh, and I'll go back to the, the Theosophical Society, um, they were very prominent with uh, accessing other uh, realms of reality, the astral world, etc., uh, in theory. But you imagine the limited funding, the limited amount of research time they had to put into it, as opposed to, uh, opposed to a black ops uh, operation funded by the military. So I definitely think that's going on. Um, and probably to a much larger extent than we think. I'm not a conspiracy type person. I I don't think Roswell was anything you know really strange. I think it was a probably a government test gone wrong. Yes, me too. I think you know one person shot JFK. Sorry, but the evidence seems to point <laughs> to that. <laughs> but um, sure, these as far as working with mind control. Uh, uh, we know that they absolutely experimented with that in the 50s, 60s, uh, uh, 
an interest in the 40s with the research of uh, J.B. Ryan at Duke University, et cetera. Um, and I'm sure that's going on today, whether they admit it or not. And I can tell you one thing that happens. Now, this isn't necessarily the government. This is just uh, political ad agencies. But here in the U.S., it's very popular during election time that one candidate will start his commercial. You're watching this commercial and that candidate is large on the screen and bright colors and crescendo in music. And then they show their opponent and their opponent is in grayscale. They've taken mm-hmm. all the colors out. It's smaller and it's harsh music. And so with hypnosis and NLP, I mean, that's actually a technique that NLP uses quite a bit. Uh, it that's mind control right there to a certain extent. I would to put it in a in an honest phrasing or an honest term. I would say it's all suggestibility. All right. You know whether whether the government can actually do mind control, which <laughs> I kind of think they do. But for a hypnotist, for a mentalist, for uh, NLP practitioner, it's suggestibility. You're using natural techniques of the mind that suggest a certain outcome. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, over here in, in in England, I notice it more in in advertising. I mean, I'm, I'm getting to that stage where I, I I'm a bit of a curmudgeon about adverts, and I'll moan about how terrible they are. Right. The messages in adverts are sort of assuming what your life should be like. I I always felt like adverts used to be sort of aspirational, and now they're just telling you what to buy and do and <laughs> and think. <laughs> right. And you know, about half of the populace motivational things will grab them, motivational ideas and and suggestions. The other half, roughly, uh, is a fear factor. So if you start watching any type of adverts or commercials with that in Mm -hmm. mind, you'll start picking out, okay, this car looks sexy and powerful. You know, so you're buying the car to be sexy and powerful. And then you're buying this door lock because anyone could break in if you don't have this door lock, you know. And uh, that's just a basic idea. But that goes into uh, you start thinking about politics and people running for office. And, you know, it's either a rosy picture they're, they're painting or it's a very doomsday picture they're, po- they're pointing to if you don't vote for them. And those are huge motivational uh, factors. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you made a, a really good point earlier on where they have identified how the human mind kind of processes information. And it can, I don't think it's in like a dystopian way. I think it's, from, in terms of adverts, it's just so they can sell stuff. But they've worked out how people can sort of be conditioned into thinking a certain thing. And they're, and they're just using that technique. But it's, the, but it's that sort of means of processing information that, is also the point at which I think you can uh, ex- expand your your psychic abilities if you wanted to. Right, right. You know, it's not just the government that could be. Uh, there's the Trilateral Commission. There's um, all these very powerful groups around the world that, you know, who knows what they're experimenting with. On some level, that's very interesting. On other levels. Uh, you wonder because uh, so many people just have this mentality that they're that they're put uh, they're up against so much, and I'm a very motivational person, so I I listen to motivational speakers and and I think that's so important. Uh, 
but you have these other areas of society, these uh, uh, secretive areas that who knows who's trying to keep us in a certain um, financial aspect or a certain thinking modality. It's, it's tricky to say. Yeah, it definitely is. Okay, so let's move on to synchronicities because I, I know you wanted to talk about those. Yes, so, I mean, I've been plagued by synchronicity since as far back as I could remember. Uh, when it kicked into something that I would say is mind-blowing is somewhere in the late uh, 1980s, I kept getting 11.11 show up on the clock. Right. And a lot of times, now these are the old-fashioned digital clocks, and when the power went out, which in, in Miami, Miami Beach, that area, we have a lot of very powerful thunderstorms, especially in the summer, and they would often knock the power out for at least a few minutes, um, just a surge, sometimes for a couple hours, uh, especially back then. And the clock would reset, and it wouldn't always set reset to a certain time. Today, I think if a you know, the clock resets, it's usually 12 o'clock or something like that on the digital clocks. Back then, it was pretty random. And so a lot of times when I'm seeing the 11.11 on the clock, the clock was even off. It could have been an off, off an hour or a couple hours, and I'm still picking up on that 11.11. And it got so prominent that uh, I'll tell you two funny stories really uh, uh, quick. Cool. One time I'm driving on Miami Beach, and I had been talking to my sister about, I'm always seeing 11.11. She's like, yeah, me too. And I'm driving in North Miami Beach, and I'm in the far right turn lane, and there's two lanes and then a far left turn lane. I'm going north, and I see a car go up in that far left turn lane, and it has a bumper sticker that says 11.11. And I was just blown away. It's like, okay, I've got to follow this car. But then other traffic came up, and I'm blocked in the right lane. And so when the light changes, I have to turn right. I loop around a few blocks trying to track down that car. I probably spent 20 minutes trying to track down that car on the most uh, likely routes it took. <laughs> never found them. Never, never knew what that was really about. Right. <laughs> so... Um... <laughs> Has the 11-11 phenomenon, is it something that you know that other people have experienced? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, in the, sometime in the early 90s, I got my first uh, home computer. And back then it was very primitive. There's a lot of uh, chat boards. Uh, uh, the web interface was very simple. There were no movies, um, just text and simple images Right. But there were all these uh, chat rooms, and, and you could do a search for different topics, and you would get a couple web pages and different uh, chat rooms. And uh, I searched for 11.11. Just, you know, it's one of those things, hey, you know what? I've been experiencing this one, and I searched for it. And it was unbelievable what came up, even back in the early 90s. Uh, different chat rooms, different message boards, different websites. Uh the thing is, the just the mindset of most people, <laughs> it was being ascribed to either angels or aliens. Most people were saying, oh, it's aliens sending us a message. Some people were saying, it's your guardian <laughs> angel sending you a message. 
I just hope if if aliens do send us messages or angels or your higher self or whatever does exist tries to send you a message, I hope it's a little bit more clear than just 1111. I hope, I hope they can actually communicate something to you. But I do think I know what's going on with 1111. This is just something I came up with, but it's, it, uh, it, uh, it's based on something that I read about that a university did. Okay. So I guess we're out of time. I don't know. We're out of time, and I can't tell you that. Is no, go ahead, please. Okay, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Several years ago, can't remember exactly when, but I read that one of the universities here in the U.S. they did a little uh, experiment, and supposedly they managed to send a subatomic particle backwards in time just a few seconds, or it might have even been a fraction of a second right. that they actually actually measured this in their lab. A few years later, I read about a very similar experiment, and supposedly the same thing was done with a little bit longer rates. So probably that was up to a second. I'm not really sure. So I think if they had success, you know, a few years ago with a fraction of a second or possibly a second doing this, you look ahead maybe 50 years in the future, maybe someone is able to send uh, subatomic particles in a broad stream. They fired it off in a, in a broad stream shot, let's say to cover the years, maybe from roughly from the mid 80s to 2020, with it affecting digital media to show up 1111. And if they're 40 or 50 years in the future, they already know if they were successful or not, and they can work on the other parts of time travel. So I think it's a time travel experiment. We're just seeing this little quirk, this little ghost in the machine from a time travel experiment. Oh, that's great. I, I love that explanation. I think that's really cool. Well, that's the most logical thing that I can come up with. I mean, aliens, uh, angels, your higher self, none of that makes sense in a logical when it's so, because this showed up in the digital era, era, era you know, at the old fashioned sundial, no one noticed 1111 on a sundial. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think whatever yeah, it is, <laughs> right, whatever it is, is geared towards the digital age. I have, I have noticed it myself actually a, a few times since um, I saw, saw you talking about it. Um, I, actually, yes, last night I um, I noticed uh, twenty two twenty two. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a, they've, they've started again or something. <laughs> well, people have reported. Uh, I mean, that's good. People reported eleven eleven, twelve twelve, twenty two twenty two, twenty three twenty three. Uh, eleven eleven is probably the primary time or groups of numbers that people see. But 23 is reported a lot. In fact, uh, Robert Anton Wilson uh, wrote about that, and they had a movie that I think was called The Number 23 because yes, so many Jim people Perry. were seeing it. Right, exactly. Mm. Um, so my two, I don't know, my two key possibilities are perhaps this time travel experiment with subatomic particles, tachyons, whatever, or we actually are in a matrix, that we're in a computer-generated matrix. And if we are, that would explain these certain uh, quirks. This That could explain 
things like 1111, 23, that ex might explain weird uh, paranormal phenomena, uh, you know, UFOs, things like that, that otherwise don't really make sense. I mean, it, it's it's one explanation, isn't it? I mean, I'm 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 open to the idea. I I just hope it's I, I I'm just a bit yeah. A computer simulation, I guess, is a well. I don't know. It's all right, I suppose. <laughs> it's a fun idea, but it is a stretch. And then you have to wonder, okay, if that's going on, how do we explain our consciousness? Which I guess we can't explain anyway. So so that's fine. Yeah, I just I guess I, I don't want the to be in the matrix when the and the real world's been destroyed you know basically like in like in the movie i suppose as long as the matrix is just it's just the matrix there's not there's not the real world which is um and we're not all in in tanks being being kind of used as batteries by by machines i think that's what what scares me <laughs> about that theory <laughs> right but uh or it could be like and there is a version of um uh, Star Trek, where I think they put some little civilization. The reality was in a little cube floating through space, but that's all it was. It was just a computer program. But they didn't want to destroy the the the. I guess the, you could say the lives in that program. Um, yeah, it's you know it's a fun idea. I just don't know how uh, realistic that is. I think theoretical scientists go back and forth on that idea. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's fascinating. I, I I can see why it's provoked so much conversation. I mean, I I like your idea that it's a it's that it's a it's to do with an experiment. Interestingly, there is an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation where the the ship is caught in a time loop and keeps getting destroyed. And in that, they they're able to send a message back to the start of the where the the loop begins, and and that is um it's the number three. And they keep seeing the number three all the time and they don't know what it means. And eventually they work out what it means. So, so maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think your idea is, is a good one. Right. I vaguely remember that. That was a good, a good episode. They had yeah. a couple uh, time distortion episodes. Those were my favorite, I think. Yeah, they're definitely the good, they're definitely the good ones. Um, I, the, the one I mentioned is, is one of my favorites of the next generation anyway. I mean, I'm fascinated with the whole concept of time, and I don't have a very good grasp of time. I have uh, alarms on my phone and uh, at home for anything I do because I just don't have a good grasp of it. Uh, but time's interesting. I mean, if you had a planet that did one revolution at the same time it did um, – well, one rotation on its axis and one rotation around the sun at the same time, a year and a day would be the same thing. Hmm. And time is such an arbitrary thing that yes. uh, I find it fascinating. Yeah, me too. I, I, I know what you mean. Like it's, well, it's a really, it's a fundamental question, is it? What, what time is? Is it a thing or is it, a, is it just an abstract concept that we use to allow us to understand reality? whatever reality is and <laughs> now we're getting back to reality now aren't we like right. <laughs> so so yeah i mean i i can't conceive I, I mean i literally can't conceive of what it would be like if time didn't exist so can there can a reality exist where time doesn't exist well i don't know <laughs> in a metaphysical sense supposedly in the astral and the higher realms the higher vibratory realms uh 
time doesn't exist past present future it's just it it right. is um that's uh that's tricky to grasp and not sure that i've really grasped it but it's uh, uh a concept that's shared by many different cultures around the world that in these other realms it's there's no time that's interesting because I, I i sort of had an idea about that where we live in a material realm with time and so we don't know we don't know everything but we have agency and then there's this non-material realm where they have absolute knowledge but they don't have agency so they sort of like to come into our world and have agency and and that's that's some that's might be what the some paranormal phenomenon are it's like entities coming through to interact with us and have agency in our world and i i need to kind of try and explain that a bit better i think but it's but it, it's an it's an idea i think it, it i like the idea of those two sort of different worlds and and there are like john keel was talking about like window areas where there's they're, they're close together there's like there's like a the, the veil between them is is thin right i i love that concept and that matches up with uh well for instance in in traditional wicca and some of the pagan traditions it matches up with uh at least twice a year the veils are thin so one it, it what we in modern times call halloween the the veils are thin between one world and the other mm. um it could be that several different types of dimensional aspects are going on at one time and one could be more metaphysical and one could be a little bit more scientific so there a lot of uh, theoretical scientists believe in multiple universes and a lot of them do believe that those universes are overlapping so some of this can be an overlap mm -hmm. occasionally uh, from a reality that's very similar to ours but somehow different and maybe the uh, magnetic fields of the planet or whatever is is uh, assisting with this perhaps that uh, allows these flap or window areas uh, uh, there's certain areas that just of course seem to have more of this activity so maybe it is overlapping a little bit more there yeah i i i think you're right there because I mean, that idea as well the idea of of thin places is is an old one as well isn't it it's yes very old so those are my honest thoughts you know on on twitter uh i just share a lot of craziness because that's how twitter is to me <laughs> <laughs> I, i i like your 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 um Twitter presence is 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 great. <laughs> oh, thank you. I I think I'm a little bit more of a uh, maybe a, a, a trickster spirit on Twitter. <laughs> well, it needs one. So, <laughs> yeah, Mark, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. If people want to find out more about you and what you do, how do they find you? My website is markobscura.net, M-A-R-K-O-B-S-C-U-R-A.net. And uh, I think on Twitter, I go under Mark Obscura Mentalist. Um, so the website's a little bit more professional than my, than my Twitter persona, but either one is perfectly fine. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you.
Thank you very much. Okay, well, th thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Well, there you have it. A conversation with the trickster of Twitter. I had a good feeling Mark would be an interesting guest, and that's just how it turned out. After the interview ended, we carried on chatting for a little while, and he performed some mentalism for me, which I have to say was quite amazing to experience. Mark is clearly an expert in his craft and understands how these talents work to trick the human mind. Like James Randi said at the beginning, they can affect so close an approximation to the supernatural that you can't detect any difference. That said, possessing these skills hasn't made Mark a debunker. Far from it. The fact that the human mind is susceptible to the techniques of stage magic doesn't disprove ritual magic or the supernatural. I think it just helps to investigate it a little better and provide some context to help understand these ideas more clearly. Also, the 11-11 phenomenon he's experienced is wonderfully weird, and since our conversation, those numbers have appeared in my life far more often too. If they've appeared in yours, please get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. That's all for now. If you'd like to contact me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com and you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify and Stitcher. Likings, ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.